From the Rookery End is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Fancy Troy Deeney to get on the score sheet against Brighton this weekend or maybe one of the defenders to get in on the act. With Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to build your own personalised bet. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker Inn. My name is John. And I'm Adam Leventhal. Uh, we are here with the first Thursday From the Rookery End podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, Adam, why out of all the days of the week are we doing a preview podcast on a Thursday? Why not Friday? Yeah, I suppose it, that's a good question. I mean, the main reason is because Nigel Pearson hosts his pre-weekend news conference on a Thursday. Slightly frustratingly, I think, for the majority of journalists who like to get things done around lunchtime, he hosts them at 3 p.m. on a Thursday, and they're not at the training ground, they're at Vicarage Road. So um, this is going to be our preview podcast uh, and be able to sort of bring you as much detail from Nigel each week. Yeah, the Saturday from the Rookerends, or the, the Monday morning from the Rookerends, will be, as they have always been, us sort of, sort of the chat that develops from the pub and these Thursdays will be the chat that develops from the press room uh, and that's where Adam is going to come into to all this so Adam you've you've been in to see to see Nigel actually he's, he's the third manager you've seen since starting Athletic how, how does he compare how do all three of Javi and Kike and, and Nigel compare I think the main thing about him as you would expect is his clarity his um, comfort with the language obviously and his sort of command of the situation you never feel like anything it sounds obvious but you never feel like anything is uncertain with what he says and this isn't a criticism of 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 Javi or Kike simply they were operating in a, in you know a language which isn't their own so you always had moments where you thought no that's you didn't quite mean that did you and you have to sort of clarify it or you think or maybe that word you've used there isn't quite right and sometimes you know, the press officer would have to step in and, and make sure that there was clarity in what was being said. But now with Nigel, you know, he sits there short-sleeved, as you would expect, you know, comes into the, the press room, which is at Vicarage Road, which is just sort of at the top of where the, where the tunnel is, where the players come in, the players' entrance. He pops around the back of the, the press room, goes and gets a coffee. It's all very relaxed. It's all very jovial. Then he sits down and then it's down to business and just so people know because a lot I guess people don't don't know how it's all structured you have a sort of a section at the beginning of the press conference which is for broadcast only and then it moves on to press print sections which um which aren't broadcast so it can last for about what, 45 minutes he, he does <laughs> to be honest there's, there's one other thing with being so comfortable with the language he likes to talk 
and likes to expand upon a point. And sometimes it goes off at, at tangents, which is sometimes entertaining. But yeah, you always feel like he's very measured in what he says. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want to be misunderstood in any way. And I think that goes back to his, his past and situations, you know, at Leicester and things like that, where he doesn't want anything. He doesn't want words put in his mouth. He wants to make sure that what he says is copper bottomed, that there's no misunderstanding, basically. And I think that transcends into the, into the dressing room as well. Yeah, I think I remember seeing his first interview he did. And within, I think it was a 15 minute interview, the club had put on the YouTube page. And I felt closer to him within that 15 minutes than I had in the entire time for many of the managers particularly Walter, um, uh, you know, just really sort of getting closer to him and understanding him that bit better. So today you went to see him. Uh, what kind of mood was he in a few days after reflecting on the, the last minute uh, loss to Everton? What he has been throughout is glass half full. So Everton has been boxed up, put away. Forget about it. You can't change it. Um, you know, there was even mention... In the, in the news conference about, you know, that first goal that Yerry Mina scored, that, that was probably a handball in the build-up there, wasn't there? Another sort of VR, VAR one that we've had so many uh, this season. And he said, look, we can't do anything about it. And that's what you have to be. And I think that that's, that's where his sort of, his big test now is, having had setbacks, and he's talked about setbacks and how to deal with setbacks a lot, even when it was going well. So he's had two setbacks now. You put into the mix the Tranmere couple of games as well. That's, that's four setbacks that he's had to deal with. Um, and this is now re a real test of how he bounces back, how he uh, regains the connection with the, with the squad, which we've seen has evaporated very quickly with his two predecessors this season. Um, and hopefully he'll be able to get them back on point for a massive game. And that was the big focus. You know, a lot of questions about... Um, how important this is, is it a relegation six-pointer? He said, yeah, it's very similar to the Aston Villa game. It's a game that you'd love to win, but you really don't want to lose. And he feels the same with this Brighton game. So he knows how important it is, but he also, at the same time, doesn't want to put too much pressure on the players. I mean, it's, it's, it's an impossible situation, isn't it? Trying to keep all sort of cool and calm and measured and, and not letting any of the pressure get through to the players knowing full well that they are feeling pressure anyway. It's such a, such a tough balance that a, a manager in a dogfight has to deal with. Yeah, I think it's that thing of, though, at this point, we've had success already with him. He's, normally not, he's not trying to pull them out of the, the hole that they were in anymore. So, uh, yeah, the loss against Everton now would have been, you, you feel it won't be as hard for him to pull the players out of compared to if we'd lost, say, against Wolves um, and the, you know, in the middle of our, of our great little run, or towards the end of our great run, so I say. So... Big thing. Everyone wants to pick their, their squad, their starting eleven for Saturday. Are we going to have any more uh, players available for us? Uh, for, for, well, is Nigel going to have any more players available for him? I don't get to pick the team. He, he picks the team. Uh, available on Saturday. Well, yeah, there is, there is one guaranteed back in contention, uh, which is Tom Cleverley. Which is, to be honest, it's great because he's, a, he's an excellent player and he was a vital player before he got injured. I thought he was playing really, really well in a really poor side at the beginning of the season just him ratting around I remember in the sunshine in Kike's first game against Arsenal was just uh, he was he was on it so that's been a real big blow but bizarrely it's not the department that we necessarily need bodies back in um, but I think his experience in this sort of situation will be vital having him in the dressing room talking to players rather than being in his you know civvies sat up in the stands it's it, it is it makes a big difference so 
potentially he could come in on the bench. No news, unfortunately, on return for Kiko. Uh, for Jan Matt, he's back on the grass, as it's known. So he's back in with the, with the, the first team after his knee injury. But they're not back for Brighton. And then we're waiting for confirmation on Craig Dawson, who went down with that knock, whatever that knock was, uh, prior to the game against Everton, which left us really, really short in terms of defensive options. It was only Holobas on the bench, wasn't it? So those three are no's as it stands, and also Ishmael Assar. That is the big question. That's the one that everyone wants to know about. And uh, the joy of what we can do on this podcast is actually bring you exactly what Nigel Pearson said about the uh, Senegalese sprinter, as he was referred to uh, by Nigel Pearson. Have a listen. I think it's always a danger to put players at risk with soft tissue injuries. And uh, you have to also understand that with sprinters, and he's certainly a sprinter, that, that there is more danger. So again, missing players, I've said this in the past, that it's probably counterproductive to, to put players at risk when actually they might need an extra week. But, but you know, we'll, we'll assess it. And, and I think with any injury like that, you have to make a calculated, you have to calculate the risk and, and decide whether the risk is worth, worth taking. We've, we've got 13 games left, so I think it's prudent to make sure that we make sure that players like him, when they are back, they stay back. And you've got 15 days to play with after that, of course. To make- yeah, but we want to win at the weekend. And that's, this is the most important game for us at the minute because we have an opportunity at the weekend to, to get back to winning ways and that's what we'll be attempting to do, for sure. Imagine he, he can't play. At best, he's going to be on the bench. How do we cope, having had such a successful period with him, with his speed, with him being the wide man. We've seen Pereira come in to the same system, but n- well, not achieve what, what Zar was achieving. How can we cope with that? Is it changing what we started with? So Pereira plays, we have to do something different, or is it we've got to make a, an, a, a change? I think if you, if you look at it, Pereira coming in up until half time against Everton, he may not have had a particularly big impact at Aston Villa, but against Everton, he, he did all right. He scored a goal, connected up well with you know, the other players in and around him. Wasn't obviously offering as much pace as you would have with, with Saar there. So I, I would be surprised if Pearson went away from Pereira. The, the thing that I'd like to see more of, and we saw that with the first goal against Everton, is as we started to see right from the very start, once Nigel Pearson was in the dugout, was, right, let's exploit the pace of, of Saar. So if we've got the ball out on the left-hand side, get it back across, ping it long, cross-field pass, and let's try and get Saar in behind. Okay, so he's not there now. Do that with Delafeu more. It worked a treat when Capu played him after a great little move involving Pereira and Shalabar. It worked well for Everton. Do that more. Don't, you know, this is something that Nigel Pearson has said um, a lot. And it's something that John McClelland actually said in one of the pieces that I did, did for The Athletic in terms of what players are in the team for. You're in the team for what you can do, not what you can't do. So allow Delafeu to put the burners on. He's got them, like Saar. Switch what we do more when we're missing Saar on the right and 
punish more hopefully on, on the left-hand side. I'd, li I'd like to see more of a, a very pointed tactic. I know that, that that's very easy to defend against, um, but if that's one of our assets, then use it a bit and then maybe use it as a double bluff later on. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that a little bit more because we do still have pace. Let's not worry about the pace that we don't have. Let's exploit the pace that we do have. You wrote a piece earlier in the week uh, about uh, Danny Welbeck on The Athletic. If you want to go and subscribe to The Athletic, then please do. At the moment, you get your seven-day free trial uh, and you get a 40% discount. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end, um, and you, you talked about you know, his mentality in that piece, but also the fact that, you know, what can he bring to this squad? My thought and what I sort of saw when he first came on on Saturday was Nigel put him as a two with Deeney up front. Then with the other substitutions, as we saw in the podcast on Saturday, it got a bit muddled, a bit messy. Would we have to change the system completely to 4-4-2 to accommodate him? And it feels like we sort of need to give ourselves a, a much stronger option up front that is, isn't just Troy Deeney. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be careful with, with Welbeck, obviously. Um, due to his history of injuries and, and what Nigel Pearson has said across the board with all the players is he wants players to come back and stay back so that might give you a nod as to you know what he may do with, with Saar um, and the same applies to Welbeck he, he's not going to sort of rush him too much and, and maybe not start him straight away in a 4-4-2 in a but it's very difficult to judge because it was so muddled against Everton I don't think it needed to be um, you know, when he came on for Shalabar, obviously a lot of people were then focusing on, oh, hang on a minute, you, you did that at Aston Villa and that left us short in midfield. But his argument was, right, well, let's, let's push Everton back by having more attacking players up against their central defenders. So um, let's fight fire with fire almost. So in that tactical switch, although people were disappointed to see Shalabar come off, there was a proactive approach from from Pearson to do that the thing that really sort of didn't allow that partnership to develop between Deeney and Welbeck was then bringing on success which then switched things around again and then Pearson saying that oh well success had some he actually used the sentence which I found very I don't know if he did it deliberately he said Isaac had success yeah. down the left hand side <laughs> which I suppose he's the only player that you could actually sort of have a chuckle about a bit of wordplay with his name like that. Yeah, but you always you feel like you have to apologise every time you use that part. I didn't mean like, no, no, yeah, yeah no, exactly. carry on, yeah. He didn't, he didn't. He certainly did. There was no smiling in the post-match press conference after, <laughs> after Everton. So I just wonder whether, you know, this is sort of a big challenge now really for, for Pearson because he's going to have to be, um, he's going to have to speculate to accumulate in, in these final 13 games. There's going to be matches where we have to think, look, this is our opportunity. You have to be pragmatic. You're obviously not just going to go gung-ho. But what happens when Welbeck is back and maybe has scored and has delivered and warrants a place, a starting place? What do you do? Well, he warrants, he warrants a, a start. He warrants a chance, that's for sure, to get him there. But I suppose, is it let's change the system a lot and start 4-4-2? Or could we put him there instead of Pereira yeah I think so I think that's maybe an option for this weekend um, I still don't think he I still don't think he will he might though because he also has to look at, at Welbeck and his experience and his quality and his how malleable he can be 
So he could pop up on the right-hand side. And also, he, he offers pace as well. We saw him, which was really sort of a, a positive thing to see. When, often when you see players come back from a, long, a lengthy injury, you almost see them as if they're like a horse being reined back when they're sprinting too much. I think, hang on a minute, I don't want my, I don't want my hamstrings to go. Um, so it was good to see him doing that and closing down the keeper, closed down one ball down the left-hand side. If I remember, that was one of his 15 touches in the match. I went through how many touches he had for that, for that article. So it, that is a potential option. But then the question remains is, right, well, what happens when Saar comes back? Could you play Dini Welbeck, Saar on the right, Delefe on the left, and then two midfielders? Does that allow enough protection, which is needed, seemingly, for our back four? Which, when we lose, is seen as an ageing, crumbling, weak back four, but is also one that has recently looked very, very solid in victories. So I think the thing with, with, with Watford at the moment and Watford fans, and th- this goes for me as well, I'm a Watford fan, but I'm also a journalist. Because everything is so fragile and confidence is so low, defeats really hit hard, don't they? And, you know, I, f- I feel that, I know the fans feel it, and I think it's very difficult for Nigel Pearson to come in and to sort of have that approach of, look, it's just a setback. When all the fans have... <laughs> You know, had a season of season of setbacks, and we just hope that the players don't revert back to how they were with these couple of setbacks, because we know how low on confidence they have been at stages in this season, and that's the real challenge for Pearson to get everyone genuinely up again after these setbacks. Because in the past, setbacks have basically just been a slippery slope to the abyss of the championship. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. The other person who maybe surprisingly came back on the radar this morning, uh, the club tweeted out the uh, official Premier League 25, uh, plus a few under 21s who are free in terms of that number count. Uh, and one person on there, as we like to know more from the Rickery end, the cuddly panda, Penyaranda. Um, did he come up at all in, in, the, in the press conference? He did, <laughs> randomly. Um, you know, up until, what, two weeks ago, he was playing on loan out in Belgium seemingly having a good time but you know reading between the lines it obviously didn't go to plan pitched up came back and now he's in the squad and now he's an option for Nigel Pearson Um, and he was asked about him and I mean before we look at look at him in a little bit more detail let's just hear what what Pearson actually makes of the, the cuddly panda Panaranda being back is is uh, <laughs> he's a lively character. I actually like him. He's a he's a very talented, very talented player. So, bit of a bonus in 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 some ways if we can um, get him to a point where he can contribute to the side in a positive way. So, again for me, it's a very pragmatic approach in terms of I tend to not waste too much energy look, looking at what problems might be rather than finding. Uh, ways of maximising what we have. We've got a player back out the blue that I didn't really factor in, but he's back. And if we can get him to a point where he's able to to contribute for us, then then even better. But you know, I, I'm I'm happy with the squad. I'm I'm happy with how they are applying themselves. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how we how it pans out. So he's back from a club, I believe. Their mascot was a panda. Maybe that's a myth. I, 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 like to, I don't want to know if it's true or not. I want to imagine in my head it was true. Um, that's, 
positive, I think, for a player like him. We have seen from Nigel several players who haven't had success at Watford. Chalabar was just not getting a chance. Uh, Will Hughes was sort of faltering a little bit, but they've He's made them better, as well as all the players in our squad better, particularly Delafay, as we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast. Do you think he could do the same for Penaranda? <sighs> Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope so. I mean, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Kiko's another one to, to throw into that mix as well. People were thinking, you know, he's went through that whole situation with Kike and, you know, had that substitute where he came on, people were booing and everything. He was, he was rock bottom, but he's managed to lift him up as well. So, yeah, I think with Penaranda... It's another option in the wide positions to maybe do something, a, a bit of extra backup. And I think, you know, Pearson, as you heard there, it's just an extra option. He wasn't expecting it. And yeah, it might give us, you know, a bit of a random factor, which in situations where it's so tight and also when teams have got a full body of work on you up until January, they know exactly what you do. That's maybe the advantage that we've got, one, having Pearson in charge because he can start to do different things with Watford. So, for example, against Brighton, yeah, you can look at the opening day victory over us, Brighton fans and Graham Potter and all the Brighton players, but we don't play anything like that anymore. Um, so in terms of having a brand new player like a João Pedro or Adalberto Panuranda, who joined back in 2016, remember, four years ago, he hasn't played in the Premier League yet. That gives us just a, some, just a random sort of a not not meaning this in a in a bad way, but like a joker that we can just play. And that might be it. Might be I'm not going to go so far. I mean, this is how carried away what fans get yeah. as well, isn't it? Isn't it? We love it. You know, or maybe he's the one that can keep us up. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But maybe one, no. What no? One game. Yes. Throw him on. He might do what he did against Coventry from from distance. Absolutely. Penuranda the ball into the back of the net. Who was expecting that? And then he went off the next day. Some of the, you know, that's that's sort of. It's been such a frustratingly random, disjointed season, and that's a case in point. But now he's back, and and hopefully he can he can make an impact. Yeah, we have we talked on the podcast before. I think Mike mentioned how the worry of these young players that we we've brought in have. You know, almost has it felt like the club has not been able to play, not been able to play them enough, faltered their careers, sent them out on loan, and nothing's really sort of developed for them. But you, my gut says, if anybody was going to sort him out and get him somewhere, uh, it would be really good. In fact, I just want him to have success so we can verbalise him. So, like you said, he penurandered it yeah. into the thing. If you listen to the Football Cliche podcast, but the Athletic yes. also do, they talk about goals uh, and the verbs. I think to penurander a goal, you can deny a penalty. But, you know, you can't, you know, what, what would a penurandering goal look like? We'll see. Hopefully we'll see. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns. But, Adam, you, you, you already said, you know, we, you know, we've been covering Watford for many years. Uh, a voice uh, to find out what's going on. And we'll get that every week now on this podcast. But what was your, uh, what's your first Watford game? <sighs> right. First Watford game, 86-87 against Everton. And I think it was up until the game where Akaka scored his back flick. Um, that was our only previous win over Everton for like 25 years or something. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, that was back in the day, old East Stand. 
I remember sort of hurling abuse, which is sort of frowned upon by my mum. Uh, that's where I get my footballing allegiance from my mum. My grandparents were in Watford as well. Um, hurling abuse at Neville Southall. I took, <laughs> I took exception to him for some reason. I think she got a little bit sort of, quiet, 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 Adam, come on. Um, so yeah, that was, that's where it all started. And then was brought to sort of games sporadically, as I'm doing with my own you know, son now. Don't take him to every game, obviously because I'm working. That would be weird. You can't bring your kid to, to work every day. Or my daughter, she's not come to a game yet. Apart from the, oh, she has been to a game. She has been to one game. Scared the living daylights out of her. Not simply because of the result, but the atmosphere as well. The FA Cup final. So, oh, really? so my daughter and my son went to the FA Cup final. Probably didn't want to go to football again. Well, now I feel like a bad father because the, the first game I took both my children to was Watford three, Tranmere three. Um, <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'm being a bit more realistic to my children, Adam. That's the FA Cup, that's the FA Cup game. That was my my son's first game was Bristol City in the FA Cup. Felt more sort of traditional to, yeah. to take him to an FA Cup game. But no, since you know, since going to games initially, you sort of go sporadically in the late eighties. So missed the glory glory days. Um, then from there onto the family enclosure, then into the Vicarage Road end, and then sort of here, there, and everywhere ever since. So it's um, it's been a bumpy ride. With the work that you do and the, and the book, the Tales of Vicarage, you got to meet lots and lots of former Watford players. Who was your first hero as a very young whippersnapper? I was I was thinking about that the other day actually, and. I, I always had a I always had a soft spot for Paul Furlong. Okay. Um, I really liked Paul Furlong because he was a proper striker, yeah. and I just remember him sort of pirouetting on the halfway line, playing the ball off to to Dyer, you know, him speeding down the wing, and uh, then Furlong being in the box, and invariably he would score. So yeah, him likes of David James. I really liked. I remember um, I did an event recently where David James was one of the guests. Not a Tales from the Vicarage thing, it was a mental health thing actually. And um, David James was on the panel and I'd not really spoken to him since lining up at one of these sort of pre-season events to get his autograph. And I said, oh, I, I used to queue up and get your autograph. He looked at me, I've obviously, I obviously had a tough paper round and looked pretty, pretty old. He went, what, really? Surely not. Um, so uh, yeah, that was good. So yeah, I mean, it's been great to sort of meet so many heroes and... Um, some of the you know the people from legendary days which weren't you know there wasn't necessarily much going on but they're still that your heroes like so when Gary Porter was at, um, at the game against Everton you know that's one of my fondest memories his hat-trick against Bolton and that comeback was was brilliant didn't mean we stayed up or went down or didn't really have much of an impact but it was an amazing amazing day well, we're going to be here every Thursday evening. If you want to get it Thursday night, perfect, but be definitely ready for your Friday commute. Uh, it's from the Recreation's new Thursday podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Remember, if you want to trial The Athletic uh, and read the articles that Adam writes as well as all the other sports they cover, uh, I'm particularly looking forward to uh, the coverage for the Chicago Cubs. I'm a Cubs fan and the season is about to start uh, next couple of months and, and see that through The Athletic this season. Uh, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookeryend to get a seven-day free trial. And if you do subscribe, uh, you will be able to get via the Athletic website and the Athletic app. You will listen to this podcast ad-free. The podcast will still be free. You can still get it in all your normal places. But if you don't fancy that little bit of an advert, then you get it ad-free via the Athletic app and the Athletic website. Thank you very much, Adam. Absolute pleasure. I look forward to next week. And uh, we'll be back with another From the Rooker End after Brighton away. Oh, I do like a day beside the seaside. Come on, you horns.